are listening to episode 28 with Thomas Holdbrook II and Stephen Kelly. And welcome to another exciting episode of the Next Report Unix and Overlook Pop Culture. Uh, we're going to try something new, and you know, we can both clap a little bit if we want, because uh, somebody's making a, a long-awaited return now that things have calmed down a little bit at work. Welcome back, Stephen Kelly. Hey, what's up, man? Yeah, um, I had a been gone for about probably what twelve episodes now. I think my last one was episode fourteen. <laughs> my work schedule—I have mandatory overtime at my work, and it just became basically impossible there for a while to do this. But we figured out a way. We're up here really late at night, and this is <laughs> the easiest way for me to do it. So. So, for once, uh, working a graveyard shift works in my favor as well, so... Because I work big, crazy, long 12-hour shifts five days a week. It gets kind of hard to do stuff. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and, and the funny thing is, two co-hosts named Steve. Well, Steven, technically. Well, yeah. You're, you're, the, you're the nerd who's into the shows and into... I'm into pop culture stuff, basically. And the other guy is like likes to mess around with gadgets. He's taking programming classes too. Oh, nice. Computer science major, I believe. Yeah. Memory serves. So, uh, interesting mix. So, uh, la- last episode we discussed, um, kind of came full circle. We first talked about Ubuntu at the very first episode of this podcast, and then we talked about it last time too. So. But today, um, talk about something that, you know, had been on my mind for a while, because it's, it's, it's one thing to, you know, you go to video games and realize, hey, there, there's these lost levels or these lost games that never arrived on the market. Well, it happens in television, too, especially with a show like Doctor Who, where some episodes were actually found in Nigeria, of all places. And I was like, wow, this is right up your alley. Yeah, basically, um, we'll get into a little bit more about the show, but basically what happened is uh, Doctor Who is is a television show from the 60s, and as you know, things like VCRs weren't even... You know, really in public use, they used to they had tapes back then, but they were reel to reel tapes, so it wasn't really anything people could have in their house, and so there was no market for old television. Basically, a lot of them even had contracts that specifically stated that if after this episode aired, they might be able to re-air it once, and then after that, it would be junked, or um, sometimes it would be archived and then sold. Off, uh, BBC actually made, in the case of Doctor Who, it's a BBC show from England, um, they actually would sell off the tapes, and that's the only reason one of those, uh, this news announcement we're going to talk about even happened, is uh, apparently back in the early 70s, they had sold a whole bunch of episodes to Nigeria, and boom, a couple weeks ago, they, they well, I, I guarantee they actually knew about it years ago, but they announced it to... Kind of like two, three weeks ago. For once, something out of Nigeria is legitimate, so... Yeah, I was waiting for them to announce it. You know, when they announced Nigeria, it's like, uh-oh, because, you know, <laughs> you don't know who's 
who's the the brother of the king of Nigeria or whatever they try to send those letters out saying. <laughs> so, um, if memory serves correct, it involved a storyline revolving around Daleks, right? Well, no, no, not not these missing episodes. Uh, basically, uh, they, they're they're what's cool is they're back to back episodes, and um, they're significant because they are from the the late sixties during the the. I wonder if we should. Well, we'll I'll say this, then we'll step back and actually do a rundown of the show. But the way that the show works is a different actor has played the same character, sort of like what they do with James Bond, and I'll talk more in detail about that. And this is the second actor to play the role. The problem with a lot of his episodes are there aren't a whole lot of his in existence. And so for them to find, you know, two complete stories, we're talking uh, nine episodes total that are were found, that, um, that's pretty astonishing, especially since they, they run back-to-back, they, they tie in together, and one of them is pretty significant, so... It's kind of crazy. I, I thought I thought I could have misread something about Daleks and maybe one of them. Or something. Well, there was a lot of misinformation um, for years now. There's been a rumor that they had found something like this, but the problem is, is there's always rumors that they. It's this is the holy grail for fans of this particular TV show because you know it's you you have these episodes that people. You know, there's there's books that are like the transcribed uh, scripts. Um, audio exists of them because fans would actually record the audio, so they actually do all exist in audio form. But people haven't seen, you know, visually these episodes. And, you know, people are clamoring for them, so that'll bring in con men that'll lie and say, you know, oh yeah, my grandma found all these episodes in, a, in her attic and... You give me ten grand, I'll mail them to you. <laughs> so you can't trust anything, and like fans have constantly got their their hopes up, just to be completely dashed all the time. <laughs> so especially, you know, when they when that rumor was going around, a lot of people didn't take a whole lot of credence in it. So, like th- this show started in the '60s. It's a British show, but it was created by a Canadian. I found that very interesting. Yeah, the the same guy that created Doctor Who was actually, um, if you've ever seen the show The Avengers, not 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 like Captain America and the Avengers, but um, if you, they used to run it all the time. Uh, there was a, a not so great movie based on the Avengers in the '90s that had Uma Thurman and Sean Connery in it. That was a terrible remake of the show that he created. But he got really popular doing that show, and they went ahead and decided that they were going to try their hand at doing a children's show. Because originally the show was intended to be an educational kids' show where he uh, about history, basically. So they got Sidney Newman in there, brought him in, and they came up with, uh, you know, they came up with Doctor Who. And, and it came... Uh, it- first episode aired on November 23rd, 1963, the day after the JFK assassination. Um, which I would imagine would have interfered with uh, viewing. Yeah, fans uh, speculate about that quite a bit, because the, the first episode actually re- was re-aired the next week. Um, it basically... 
some people will say that it was planned that way or a lot of other things, but a lot of people are pretty sure that the, the JFK assassination was a pretty big deal, as you can imagine. And anything that happened around that time pretty much got drowned out by all the coverage. So, you know, whether or not that's true, that's up to contention, but I would imagine that that was probably the case. And Verity, Verity Lambert, and Morris Hussein, um, breaking ground, uh, running this show, um, that... That was unheard of in television back then. Well, yeah, um, basically, BBC especially was very much, you know, back, I mean, this is 1963, so, I mean, you had, the whole thing was pretty much a, like a, a men's club, basically. You had all these stuffy guys that have been doing it, you know, the whole time, and here you have a woman, she was basically, she had a different role, but it was basically like the executive producer, if you thought about it in terms of today. And the original director um, was a, an Indian-born man named uh, Waris Hussein. So not only do you have a woman, but you also have an ethnic minority um, helming the show. And Indians weren't treated so poorly, but there was a big rash, especially in the 70s, of kind of xenophobia in England. So it's kind of, it's being Americans, you know, it's hard to understand what it was, but I mean, think about it, at that same time here, we were still in the middle of the civil rights movement and everything, so I mean, it was kind of a rough time, and for them to have, you know, been able to get the show off the ground, it was kind of crazy, and of course, you know, because of that, a lot of people within the, uh, within the, the offices didn't respect the show at all because of that. That's uh, very sad. That happened. Um, the and of course, they're sort of like how James Bond. There would be a new James Bond every so often because actor Clarence would eventually get old. But uh, William Hartnell apparently suffered from mental issues, and so they came up with an ingenious idea: regeneration. Yeah, basically, uh, William Hartnell was a. Uh was a well-known character actor at the time. He, he usually played, like, military people in various roles, like uh, old sergeants and stuff like that. And he uh, he basically, he started to have some medical issues. He, he didn't actually pass away until about ten years later, but he started to, he wasn't really super old by any means, but he started to have what I would assume was probably some kind of dementia or something, because he started to really mess up his lines all the time, which actually kind of added to it, because he actually seemed like he was a, kind of a real person in the show. But on a show like that, the budget was so small that they didn't have money to waste tape. So if he would catastrophically ruin a, a take or something, they would have to go and it was just like it was a huge ordeal. So he eventually decided to step down. And that put the show in complete jeopardy because it had ran, you know, they, they would do upwards of 40 episodes a season then. And all of a sudden this show, even though it wasn't, you know, at this time they had introduced characters like the Daleks, which are um, in some ways as popular as the, you know, more popular than the show because they've appeared in their own movies and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, the show became a phenomenon back then, and 
So all of a sudden, you know, they could sell toys and all sorts of other stuff. The problem is, is when your main actor leaves the show, what are you going to do? You can't just spin it off onto one of the other characters. So they basically decided to um, do this thing that uh, they did, like like you said, James Bond, except it's it, it, the premise of the show is that at the time, um, this, this old man who simply went by the doctor, that was what he calls himself, he basically, as far as you know, he and his granddaughter escaped from their planet. You know they're aliens, but you don't, you don't know to what extent. And they have a stolen spaceship that they're in that looks like an old 1950s British police box. The reason it looks like that is because it has a cloaking device, and it's supposed to look like whatever, like if they landed on a planet of red rocks, it would presumably end up looking like a red rock or something, but when it landed on England, it broke, and it always looks like a police box now. (laughs) So, they, since you have this whole alien thing going on, they decided, you know, well, here we go, the last episode... He keels over, and all of a sudden his face changes into another person's face. And that basically started this whole concept of regeneration, where as an actor needs to step down from the role, they'll just get another actor in there, do the regeneration, and it's kept it going for this long. It's, you know, 19, November 23rd, 1963, that's 50 years ago, this upcoming November, which is something we can also talk about. Oh, Absolutely. So, um, this thing came back in 2005. It's still a popular show to this day. I actually saw a regeneration of one of the, you know, Doctors into the New Doctors. Yeah. Um, I don't remember which episode it was, but I, I've seen a few episodes, and I was like, of course, it's, you know, in some cases, depending on which timeline they're in, you know, it's, it's still kind of floors me to think, oh my god, people are going to see Britney Spears' classical music? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's I, I know exactly which episode you're talking about. Oh my god. Yeah, they like to do little jokes like that in there. Yeah, the, uh, the show um, in the 80s, the quality of the show kind of got, I'm not going to say it was bad, but it kind of got a little bit less than enthusiastic reviews from the much, of, much of the public. And also, the the head guy at the time in uh, BBC hated anything that wasn't like a uh, period drama. So he went out of his way to start cutting like every single like genre show. So he canceled. There was a a show based on uh, a book series called The Tripods, which is vaguely related to War of the Worlds. That got canceled before it could end. Um, Doctor Who got canceled. And this was in '89. And all these other sci-fi shows all got canceled. And for for the most part, Doctor Who, I guess it kind of helped it, because the show was kind of getting iffy. And despite them uh, trying to bring it back in 96 as a movie that Fox in America decided to attempt to make, and it was horrible, um, the 2005 relaunch got a lot of press, and, you know, it, it's one of the most watched shows over there, and it's probably more popular in the world than it ever has been, so. So you, like, the first episode has, comes out that's come out in years, did you watch it on the first day it aired, or? 
You talking about the one in two thousand five or the? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, actually, I was. I, I'm a longtime fan of this show. Um, they used to play it in America. PBS used to actually air it back in the eighties at some, like really weird late times at night. So my uh, my mom and I would stay up and watch it. And when I heard that it was coming back, I, I sometime in the like. There was a long time where I didn't really pay attention to it because I assumed it got canceled and everything and didn't, you know, it was never going to come back. Then I started seeing DVDs and stuff of it. I guess at the time it was VHS tapes of it showing up at my work. And I thought, eh, I'll try this out again. And uh, discovered that it was coming back. So I joined a message board and kept up on the news and everything. Funny story is, in 2005, when it came back, they actually, someone leaked the episode like a month before it was supposed to air, so I actually watched a mostly finished copy of it, because I was that impatient to watch it. Um, oh. It didn't have, like, all of the, uh, it didn't have, like, the music wasn't all in it and stuff like that. <laughs> it was kind of a, but yeah, someone, they sent out screeners, I guess, to the press or something, and someone threw one of them up on BitTorrent. Pretty much immediately, everybody knew about it. <laughs> but it actually helped the show because it got gigantic ratings for that first episode. So. So, so, in other words, the whole argument against so-called piracy it was invalid in that instance. Oh, well, yeah, that that around that same time, that same thing happened with Battlestar Galactica. That show, when it came back, it was actually aired in England like six months before it aired over here. But everybody that wanted to see it pirated the crap out of it. And it made it more popular because there was a bunch of buzz going into it. So I'm not an advocate of piracy, but in situations like that, I, I honestly do think it helps. And yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they leaked it on purpose. <laughs> yeah, like sort of like how Ashton Kutcher is like, look at me, I'm pirating my own movie <laughs> just to try to garner publicity for it. So, <laughs> so you... Um, Doctor Who, Time Lords traveling throughout time and space and everything else. Um, the basic premise, I'm assuming, is being a guardian of time and things like that. More or less. Like, that's his race, you end up finding out throughout the show. Like, the general premise of the show is that this guy has this really dark past, so dark that he you don't actually... It's kind of like how they used to treat Wolverine in the X-Men comics, really, you didn't know his past or anything, and it kind of made it crappy when you did know his past. The Doctor's like that, uh, except they haven't... Like, you don't even know his real name, he literally just goes by the Doctor. And that's why the title of the show is Doctor Who, because you're, you're you don't know who he, is. who he is or anything. You know that he's really old. He's uh, The way that their life works is... The Time Lords, basically, since they regenerate, they uh, can live to be, in, in, under normal circumstances, it's assumed that they're basically immortal. But the Doctor goes out and gets himself in trouble, and so he dies a lot more than he probably should. But as of right now in the show, he's over a thousand years old. And the only thing, his own people are kind of jerks for the most part, so, like, They've kind of hinted that some big he probably had something to do with something bad in his past, and that's why he escaped. But you know they haven't really unveiled that. But the cool thing about it is he has he has this this time machine called the TARDIS, which is the thing I was talking about that looks like a police box. If you don't know what a police box is, if you're listening to this, imagine a telephone booth kind of, except completely enclosed, like not not no glass windows and painted blue. It was. 
it, what it was was they would be in street corners, and if you felt like you were about to be attacked or you needed to call the police, you would go in there, and it's basically a, a phone booth that had locked doors on it so that, you know, or a uh, policeman could use it as, like, a little mobile police station, more or less. But they don't use those anymore. Yeah, but it's kind of cool um, noting the history and the police boxes or the disguise thereof. Yeah. So are, th- are those things still standing today over in England? Or? They have police boxes, but they don't look like that anymore. Um, I think in Scotland they have uh, like a couple of them still up, but I think they're plastic now, and they look... They're, they're different. Um, but there's really no reason to have them anymore, because with cell phones and stuff like that, it's kind of unnecessary, other than the fact that they're... Kind of like those, uh, to a lesser degree, but it's kind of like double-decker buses and those red phone booths that they have over there. It's kind of iconic. Um, I think one of the main reasons you don't see the, the, the classic ones over there is I believe the BBC actually owns the rights to the design of it now. Because uh, e- England itself didn't use them for so long. They actually, I think, copyrighted it or something. So Oh, my. So... <laughs> so so wow. So, um, what was your first reaction when you saw the announcement? Besides the, oh, it's from Nigeria. I don't know if this is legit or not. Well, I was pretty excited because in the past, um, probably twenty-five years, I would say there really haven't been too many. Like, it was a, a joke that would always happen. Is there's this this guy who was actually instrumental in them saving some of the missed episodes. Well, actually, let me let, let me back up and let me actually explain the whole missing episode thing a little bit. Um, you know, TV at the time was ephemeral, and they didn't think, you know, like we were talking about earlier, they didn't know about, you know, that there would be a market for that at all. So they would literally just destroy their tapes and stuff. And they the only reason that any of the old 60s episodes exist is, is sheer laziness. Because, you know, if you're a low-flung guy working at the BBC and your boss comes in and says, hey, have you destroyed those tapes and you haven't, you're going to be like, yeah, yeah, I did that. Yeah, that's taken care of. That's literally what basically happened. And there was this one guy who was a a super fan, basically. He was a, I don't know if at the time he was a record producer, but um, let's see. He uh, basically ended up uh, coming in, and uh, his name was Ian Levine, and he noticed what they were doing, and it freaked him out. And he basically stepped in and was able to convince the BBC to give him some of them. And he is kind of uh, not really... he He's one of those fans that kind of uh, like acts a little too excited about it and kind of becomes a laughing stock in the media a little bit, so some of the fans don't really like him much, but... He is instrumental in the fact that a lot of those episodes did not get destroyed. And so basically they would, uh, you know, laziness on their part, and also the fact that they would ship these overseas, and you would have either people hoarding them overseas or people um, that would just, would they would end up randomly, like the, the situation with the ones found in Nigeria they were shipped to an entirely different country. I can't remember what they were, but for some reason they made their way to a relay station in Nigeria where they just sat in a closet for, like, 45 years. 
<laughs> and uh, this gentleman named Philip Morris, who owns a uh, a company called uh, Television International Enterprises. That's basically what he does. He goes out and tries to find stuff that can be restored. And he discovered them, brought them back and everything, and it was just kind of like, whoa. Because in the last, since I've been keeping up with the show, I think they found a grand total of, like, well, I should say since I since 2005, we'll say. They've recovered, I think, four episodes maybe. And in the past 25 years, they've recovered maybe seven total. So for the fact that in one fell swoop, they found nine all at once that were in perfect enough condition that when they announced it, they released it on iTunes literally the next day. Like, you can actually watch them right now. They're not waiting for a DVD release, which leads me to believe that they found them two years ago or something, probably. But it's kind of crazy, so I was pretty excited about it. Well, that... That was a job well done by, by the people trying to find this stuff and get it restored as best as they can. And, and the cool part is, some of the, the one documentary linked me to that was fan-made, Yeah. Um, like, some of it was, you know, just the video with no audio yeah. so that they could dub over it. Since people have enough of the audio from all the episodes, you know, just the right video editing tools you just merge the two together and yeah presto that's what they do that the, they have a, a group called the the restoration team that that's literally what they do is they'll, they'll come like for instance uh the episodes they found recently there was one episode that actually did exist in the archives it was uh the out of the, the two stories that they found, there was one called The Web of Fear and one called uh, The Enemy of the World. There was one episode of Enemy of the World that existed. And the uh, the problem with it was is it was really crappy quality, um, like off of, uh, I believe it was transferred around and it was like not on its first generation tape. So it was, you know, good for the most part, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. Whereas the one that they ended up finding new was actually a, a better edition of it. So this re-release that they did when they uh, put it out there, they actually used the better copy of it. And that's what usually ends up happening when they do these restorations, is they will have, like if they have uh, missing... Because there's, there's, there are also episodes that have missing clips in them where they got edited in Australia, like, they'll have, like, a, a scene that was deemed too violent or something, and they'll actually have a snippet missing. But then they might later find, you know, the edited film somewhere, and they're able to splice that back in, put the audio on top, and do all kinds of other wizardry to actually make it look decent. So it's kind of crazy. They usually have little documentaries on their DVDs of what it goes, what happened, <laughs> and it looks nuts what they have to do to fix some of them. And it tests multimedia capabilities, uh, creation capabilities of the uh, people restoring this, too. So, Oh, yeah. That's absolutely incredible. Another thing that they've recently been doing is there's a couple of uh, sh uh, ones where they might be missing, like, one episode or something. They've actually gone in and uh, done reconstructions via, like, cartoons or something like that. So they're kind of toying with ways to to do to to fill in the, the blanks basically without having to release 
you know, hey, here's a big, because I have a box set at home that's like all the orphaned episodes. Not all, but it's like any story where there's like one episode on its own or something, they have it in a box. And that's cool and all, but, it, you know, I would rather have a cartoon of it or something with the audio than something like that. What about a remake of all the old episodes? If they have the audio for all of them because of the fans recording all of them onto audio tape? Like a like a do a shot for shot remake. I they, I guess they theoretically could do that. The problem is is uh, BBC is under a lot of constraints with the, like the new the new Doctor Who episodes make tons of money because you know the fans are currently into that. But the old stuff, you know, it's kind of like why you don't see them release tons of old movies constantly, like from the sixties and stuff, with like you know completely restoring them. It just probably won't make its money back. So, like, anytime they do restoration work, it's kind of on a shoestring budget. Um, one interesting thing that they did do that's kind of like that is um, the 50th anniversary is coming up. They actually made a movie that's about the show itself, and it's, like, the movie is called An Adventure in Time and Space. It's going to be coming out here next month. And it's going to, it actually shows, it's a docu- like a documentary drama. Well, not really a documentary. It's like a... Like, if you saw the movie Ali, about Muhammad Ali, it's something kind of like that. And it actually has people that they've recast as the characters. So they, in doing that, essentially refilmed parts of old episodes, kind of. So, you know, that's one one way to look at it there. Right. You know, sort of like how... Because it reminds me of, like, here in the States, where, you know, you had this, for a while, this whole Lois and Clark thing, or... Or it just kind of morphs into something like Smallville, showing the showing Clark Kent's childhood. Yeah. In that storyline, just kind of like a prequel, and and saying, hey, you know, you know, here's here's the prequel. Who knows? Um, no, that's definitely a possibility. And I, what, one thing that they have done too is like with the the spinoff stuff. There's books and audio dramas that they do. I mean. Aside from it being a TV show, the longest-running sci-fi show in history, it also... Because, I mean, e- even with the hiatus it took, it actually ran for 27 straight seasons before that. And na- now it came back for, like, the last nearly 10 years. So it's got, on sheer amount of episodes and time and everything, it's got Star Trek beat and everything else. But not only that, but they also have books and audio stuff. I mean, it's literally, they filled in any gaps you can imagine with it. The Doctor versus Picard. Who would win? There's actually a comic book that I have that has them together, so I'll have to finish reading that. Oh my, <laughs> that's... Somebody else beat me to that, I thought. <laughs> yeah, a company called IDW, they're a comic book company. They they own the Star Trek license and the Doctor Who license. Oh. And it's it's a well known fact that the, the two shows borrow from each other constantly. Like Star Trek usually steals a lot of ideas from Doctor Who, but I'm not pr- pretend like it's not the other way around sometimes too. But they each have a villain that's very similar. If you if a lot of people listening to this are probably familiar with the Borg from Star Trek. Well the Borg are a giant blatant ripoff of a Doctor Who villain called the Cybermen. So when they did the comic, they're like they basically decided to have those two 
villains team up, more or less. <laughs> so you've got the crew of the Enterprise and the crew of the TARDIS fighting together. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, that uh, just about wraps up this episode. Um, S- Stephen Kelly's website is an American view of British science fiction.com. And you also have some other exciting news, don't you? Oh, I've just been kind of doing a little bit of stuff. Are you referring to the, the recent thing that I started doing on, on another website? Yes. Well, it's nothing crazy, but I actually um, I listen to, if you're familiar with, with WWE, I uh, listen to the podcast that uh, JBL and Michael Cole do, and they actually put a call out for people that, for bloggers at one point. And I went ahead and uh, put my two cents in, and I think I ended up talking to. Uh, I don't. I, I. I think it's 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 someone related to JBL. I'm not exactly sure if it's his brother or something, but he actually I sent him a writing sample, and uh, you know I ended up becoming a blogger on there. So that's the LayfieldReport.com. But you know, it's not. It's basically the way it's set up is it's anyone can actually join that. It's it's uh. It's run like a contest. If depending on how many page views you get, if you get in the top three, you get a payout. But yeah, it's worth a shot. And I can say that I work for a their website. You know, the Wayfield Report, uh, quite an accomplishment. You you, you you've written for VG Charts. Yeah. You, you're for those who are wondering, oh, who who that guy was that uh, that wrote that one article about the ten most. Uh, Sexually awkward video game moments. Such a terrible article. <laughs> and yet it made the front page of Dig somehow, some way. Yeah, somehow or another, I, I used the word sex and had video games in it, and somehow that that article went viral, and I don't even know how. <laughs> it was like in a 2009 or something, and all of a sudden I ended up crashing the website. I'm like, really? I mean, because it was literally a joke article. I didn't even... It was so dumb. But that proves how BuzzFeed exists, so... <laughs> Which Maddox apparently hates, by the way. Yeah, I saw that. Well, that's all that website is. <laughs> Top ten lists, basically, the whole thing. <laughs> he just kept inserting random numbers. I'm like, oh... Oh wow! Oh my! Yeah, I dabble. I dabble in some blogging on various sites. I figured I haven't really had a lot of time to do a whole lot of it because I have you know that blog of my own. But I was in a uh, with me. I'm just getting over being in a car accident and stuff like that. So figured I would get back in the, the swing of things. And you know, I'm here trying to do some podcasts and trying to get back into some blogging. So get back in the saddle. Yeah. <laughs> um, we do have a new cover photo featuring uh, the two Stevens. The other Steven looks like he's having a blast. That sort of thing. <laughs> um, the next report.com, um, the core of the site is pretty much done. Just got to touch it up a little bit, but there's a link to our podcast feed. Um, and we are using a new solution called Podcast Generator. So. Uh, feel free to check out the link to their source search page and maybe chip in a tip or two for them to thank them for making our lives a little bit easier. 
And as always, entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself. I'm Thomas. I'm Steven. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to episode 28. The intro is brought to you by The Introvert, an independent band. Their Facebook page can be found in the show notes on the podcast page. Stephen Kelly is currently writing for An American View of British Science Fiction as well as The Layfield Report.